0: Welcome to fintech impact this podcast is an exploration of the financial technology world interviewing different fintech entrepreneurs about what they do their story and what their impact is on consumers incumbents and the industry as a whole. Here's your host award winning financial planner university lecturer and writer Jason Pereira.
1: Hello, and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Before we get started, just a bit of housekeeping. As I mentioned last time, I am a director of the Individual Finance and Insurance Decision Center, and we have our upcoming conference November 6th in Burlington, Ontario at 9 a.m. at the Michael G. DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. We have a wide range of FinTech-related topics, including cryptocurrencies, peer-to-peer lending, and ICOs. I highly encourage you to check it out. Details are available on my LinkedIn profile. Now, on to today's show. Today's show is a little bit different than normal. It is not an interview with any one tech company. It's actually a recording of a panel discussion that I participated in. The topic of our session was entitled Blockchain and Cryptocurrencies. Are they an investment you should recommend for your clients? So full disclosure, this is not an endorsement that suggests that you or anyone should be investing in cryptocurrencies. So whatever legal disclaimer you need, there it is. On the panel with myself are two other individuals, David Hayes of Technology Brokers International and Kyle J. Kemper, who's the Executive Director of the Blockchain Association of Canada. And with that, here's our panel discussion.
2: A panel on blockchain and cryptocurrencies. And this is, some, this is some fancy stuff. Two days ago, I was walking in the park in Munich with my wife's cousin, and he asked me how involved I was with cryptocurrencies and, uh, and especially with the blockchain. And I kind of looked at him askance. This was a very surprising question to get from this young fellow, but... He'd be, it turned out he'd been an early investor. He'd done very well. And then he talked to me a, quite a bit about how the blockchain can affect very many industries and healthcare, a whole variety of things. It's something I don't pretend to understand at all. So luckily, we have some tall foreheads with us here today to talk about it. Now, moderating this escapade will be Paul Brent. Now, if you're from Ottawa, Gatineau, the... Uh, national capital region as we used to call it back in my day Paul Brandt is a man who needs no introduction but for the rest of you I will tell you that he's a very very famous and accomplished journalist and broadcaster 43 years as a radio tv journalist he doesn't look it. he's reported from the space shuttle not many of us can say that how can we Paul also spends a lot of time with his family. He's lucky to have all of his three children live in the Ottawa area with grandkids and the family cottage just an hour away. Almost a year ago, Paul took on an advisor role with an Ottawa technology company called Elastalink, and that keeps him busy. We're pleased to have Paul Brent with us. Please welcome him to the stage as our moderator. Paul, come on up. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Years ago, I had the mantle, I was often called by uh, colleagues here, uh, MediaSlet, and I'm going to pass that mantle on now to Jason Pereira, who is also an RFP. Do you want to introduce the guys? Uh, you can. Uh, well, sure, I will. Okay. Why don't you do that? All, All right. right.
3: Thanks very much. Well, good morning. In those uh, pictures, they asked us for some personal photos of uh, things that we like to do. Uh, my photo happens to be at the top there with the great hairstyle, and uh, it's at the family cottage, and that's one of my granddaughters. Uh, hard to be serious when I see a picture like that. I'm really glad to be here because I've been fascinated to do the research on this uh, topic. Like, I thought I knew something about cryptocurrencies and blockchain, but I was only scratching the surface, and now I feel like With an audience like this, I should be investing in something, but what I'm going to do is ask you to uh, invest an hour of your time, and I think uh, your return on investment will be a good one in terms of understanding what it's about and what it means for your clients and whether this really is an investment opportunity. To uh, introduce the panel, I'll start with David Hayes, ask him to come up and take a seat. David, from Ottawa, is a real innovation leader. He's a a founder, an investor, a global technology executive, uh, launched over 120 products. He's worked with all kinds of companies, ranging from Corel here in Ottawa to um, Bristol-Myers, Squibb, uh, Glaxo, Gravol, He's founded so many companies in such a broad range of technology areas. What a a fountain of information he is. And he takes a look at this issue of cryptocurrencies and uh, blockchain from, uh, I like to think, uh, from a consumer standpoint, as well as a technology standpoint. Next, we have uh, Kyle Kemper. He's uh, from Ottawa. He cuts to the point and says, blockchain technology will do nothing less than transform our civilization. He is executive director of the Ottawa-based Blockchain Association of Canada, a Bitcoin uh, trader. He's uh, looking forward to blockchain reducing the influence of the traditional monetary uh, infrastructure that we have. He was also chief strategy officer for the uh, Global Blockchain Technologies Corporation and other uh, digital currency projects. And our third panelist comes from Toronto, Jason Pereira. A registered financial planner. He's also an entrepreneur, writer, broadcaster, podcaster, business professor, he teaches at the uh, Charlotte School of Business. He's a founder of two technology startups, and he has a podcast, fintechimpact.com. The reason I mention that is because we are recording this this morning, and uh, it's going to be a, bod- a podcast uh, with Jason uh, in the future. So, uh, welcome to you all. and. Uh, I appreciate your coming out uh, this morning and I look forward to uh, the uh, information you have to offer to us. Now, uh, before I put the uh, panel to work, there's a couple of things that I wanted to do. One was ask you a few questions. How many of you understand these two items that we're talking about today? used in the world of finance and increasingly across the economic spectrum? How many feel you understand them? Show of hands. Great. Good. How many of you had your clients ask you about these items and should they be investing? Show of hands. Oh, boy, the public's a little ahead of the game here. They're, uh, They're interested. How many of you think that this is an investment opportunity, but there's a lot of red flags that make you a little hesitant? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Here. Yeah. <laughs> well, our aim is uh, to help you to uh, understand the current state of blockchain and cryptocurrencies. Certainly, my view, uh, I lived through, as you did, the boom in the Internet and the uh, tech boom that was associated with it. It makes me want to ask, how many of you feel that we're kind of at the same stage? It's a bit of a Wild West. It looks like it's got great opportunities. Looks like it's got great opportunities to get burned. Do you think that's where we might be? Yeah. Okay. Now let's uh, try our clicker here to see if we can advance this. This is a video that I wanted to show you that helps to, in just two minutes, explain what uh, security is
4: guaranteed. That way, no. When you vote, have you ever wondered whether your ballot is actually counted? If you meet someone online, how do you know they're who they say they are? When you buy coffee that's labeled Fairtrade, what makes you so certain of its origin? To be sure, really sure, about any of those questions, you'd need a system where records could be stored, facts could be verified by anyone, and security is guaranteed. That way, no one could cheat the system by editing records, because everyone using the system would be watching. Systems like this are on the horizon, and the software that powers them is called a blockchain. Blockchains store information across a network of personal computers, making them not just decentralized, but distributed. This means no central company or person owns the system, yet everyone can use it and help run it. This is important because it means it's difficult for any one person to take down the network or corrupt it. The people who run the system use their computer to hold bundles of records submitted by others, known as blocks, in a chronological chain. The blockchain uses a form of math called cryptography to ensure that records can't be counterfeited or changed by anyone else. You've probably heard of the blockchain's first killer app, a form of digital cash called Bitcoin, that you can send to anyone, even a complete stranger. Bitcoin is different from credit cards, PayPal, or other ways to send money because there isn't a bank or financial middleman involved. Instead, people from all over the world help move the digital money by validating others' Bitcoin transactions with their personal computers, earning a small fee in the process. Bitcoin uses the blockchain by tracking records of ownership over this digital cash, so only one person can be the owner at a time, and the cash can't be spent twice, like counterfeit money in the physical world can. But Bitcoin is just the beginning for blockchains. In the future, blockchains that manage and verify online data could enable us to launch companies that are entirely run by algorithms, making self-driving cars safer, help us protect our online identities, and even track the billions of devices on the Internet of Things. These innovations will change our lives forever, and it's all just beginning. To learn more about the urgent future of the blockchain, please visit iftf.org slash blockchainfutureslab.
3: Okay, there we go, in two minutes, what they're about, and you know, there's a a lot of information on the internet about what these are, how they work together, and it's well worth your time to spend a little bit of time on the internet looking at some of this background information. I wanted to give you a few uh, fast facts. There are somewhere between 1600 and 2000 cryptocurrencies, like Bitcoin, that already exist. Bitcoin was the 54th most popular search on Google in the past year, 1.8 million searches a month. There's a lot of interest, that's just below sports. The 2018 list by LinkedIn Canada of the top startups, the number two one, CoinSquare, a cryptocurrency trading platform. And one of the most valuable startups in Canada with a $1 billion valuation is Kick Interactive of Waterloo. They've developed their own cryptocurrency. Bank of Canada is uh, studying a national cryptocurrency for Canada. They do an annual Bitcoin survey. And for 2017, 85% of Canadians had heard of Bitcoin and about 2 million Canadians now own Bitcoin as an investment. The biggest group of investors here in Ontario and uh, from a demographic standpoint, higher education and a, an income over 70000 a year. Now, of course, the big story in 2017 was the value of Bitcoin soaring to about $19,000 down to about 6000 but steadily rising. It's up sharply again today. If you caught the wave on the way up, it's a wonderful investment. If you caught the wave on the way down, it was an awful investment. By the way, a uh, cryptocurrency developed in Canada, Ethereum, is now the number three cryptocurrency, and number two is something called Ripple, also with Canadian uh, involvement. How many of you have heard of Warren Buffett, the Oracle of Omaha? I'll bet you you got a picture of him. He says that cryptocurrencies are rat poison squared and will end badly. He says it breaks his, his basic tenant of investment, which is invest in things that have an intrinsic value. There really is something to it. And in his view, there is nothing to cryptocurrencies. Now, of course, Buffett didn't think Google or Amazon was a good investment. Canada is home to a lot of entrepreneurs in the space. We're the number three country in the world for the amount of cryptocurrency and blockchain activity. The owner of the New York Stock Exchange is planning to uh, establish a regulated digital asset exchange so that you will be able to deal in digital currencies as an investment, very similar to the way you would deal with uh, securities. And this year, PricewaterhouseCoopers surveyed 600 global executives. 84% of the firms are in some way involved in blockchain. Now, there are some downsides. Problems associated with the field include scalability, huge energy consumption, fraud, money laundering, tax evasion, funding criminal activities, price manipulation, legislation blocking cryptocurrency activity, and millions of dollars in coins being stolen, almost it seems as often as data breaches. As of five months ago, there were 40 security agencies, including Canadian ones, investigating cryptocurrencies, including criminal probes into illegal activities such as spoofing, wash trading, and uh, pump and dump operations. And that same Pricewaterhouse survey uh, that I mentioned, 45% said the number one problem, the number one concern that they have is trust. They don't trust the systems yet. So that sets the stage. Let's put our panelists uh, to work. And I'd like to give them all the opportunity to make a uh, an opening comment, and I would ask them the question, Is now the time to invest in blockchain or cryptocurrencies? If so, why or why not? And uh, Jason, you have the microphone, so we'll start with you.
1: Is this my seven-minute diatribe
3: now? Or is it, uh, okay. <laughs> yep, this oh, is
1: your opportunity. Okay. So you'll have to forgive me. I found out about the seven-minute diatribe yesterday, so now I have notes. And apparently now I'm forever saddled with the nickname Media Whore. Thank you for that, by the way. Sorry. <laughs> slide. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> That's the more politically correct way of saying it, right? Okay. Yeah. So, sorry,
3: sorry, Jason. Uh, I'm going to have to change the order because we do have graphics oh, uh, loaded okay. up in the proper order. So we're going to start with you, David.
0: So uh, to answer your question, I guess I want to give you a secret that I have to you first. And I'd like you to know that I'm a technology nerd. And so uh, as a result, I typically check out the technology first and then I invest in the company. And that has held well for me over the years. And so once I see a technology that's going to take off, then I try to invest in those companies that are going to give the best return for that technology. And all the companies you'll see me recommend in this, uh, just as a transparency thing, I've invested in them. So I have a vested interest in their benefit, but they are relevant. So I think blockchain is it, to answer your question. Blockchain is amazing. It's fantastic. I think everybody should be investing in it. And it's a great technology. Some of the trends you have to consider that are happening, that things like, well, we're in the internet of things age, and that continues to grow. Edge computing is a new trend. And that means uh, computing closer to home. And that's going to be also a good investment, but also good for blockchain. Biometrics will become very important, especially for consumers, where your blockchain will include your fingerprint, your retinal scan or what have you. That'll just add a huge layer of credibility to, to it. There's deep digital, which is really getting into the depths of digital technology for blockchain. And the other trend that's very relevant, and it's, it's a ridiculous thing that's happening, and that's cybercrime. It's growing at a, in monumental pace, and blockchain is something that can block that and help manage that. As Paul said, one of the key things for blockchain is that it's currently trusted. People really do trust blockchain now. They see it as, as an innovative technology that can help them, that protect them. The biometric and the bizmetric aspect, those companies that incorporate that, I think those will make the best investments for you or your clients. The other thing that it will become is it will become invisible. I mean, how many people here have virus software on their computer? We all do, and the only time you see it is when it pops up and tells you have an alert. But for the most part part, it runs invisibly, and so that's something that uh, you'll see over time, that this will become more invisible to the average consumer, to the average business person. So from an investment standpoint, these are companies that I've invested in, and except for tech racers, but IBM and Microsoft in the B2B blockchain environment are doing quite well and they're growing their business nicely. And the other one is Amazon. Now Amazon itself is incorporating and working with blockchain as a key part of their platform. There's an Indian company that's now moved to North America. It's not IPO'd yet, but it's called Tech Racers. They do end-to-end blockchain, mostly for business, B2B. And they're growing at 300 400% a year. So once they're open on the market, I'd say they're a very good investment. From my perspective, Bitcoin is dead. I don't like Bitcoin. I don't like it for a lot of reasons. I'll tell you a story of a gentleman I know. He invested half a million dollars in, in Bitcoin three years ago. He made a ton of money. He just made so much money, it wasn't funny. But he said it was the most nerve-wracking investment he ever had in his life. He said he spent more time looking at his Bitcoin performance than he did everything else in life. And you think people spend a lot of time on social media. I think he spent two hours a day looking at his Bitcoin, zooming up and zooming down. He made money, but he said he wouldn't do it again. I own Bitcoin, and uh, it's been good. But uh, again, it's the same thing. I I find it's it's more of a spontaneous fad for me. So I don't like Bitcoin, but digital currency is here to say. The same trends that I mentioned before are going to drive the digital currency market. But what I believe will happen very soon is that an organization is going to come in and give huge stability to Bitcoin, because right now it's very volatile. And once that stability is there, it might be a global organization. It might be the World Bank. It might be the stock exchange, as Paul was mentioning. Once someone comes in and adds that stability and credibility, So the volatility, I think that is an awesome time to invest in it. You'll probably make a lot of money often. The other one is that we're not quite at mass population. It's still kind of in the, I'm one of them, in the nerd zone for a lot of people. And until it gets out of that zone, crosses the chasm, gets into the mass population, I think uh, that's when it's really going to take off. That's when it's going to be an unbelievable investment. So uh, the investments that I would recommend that I'm in and trying to support are, uh, Ripple, as Paul said, Ripple is good because it's a very light, it's very light. It consumes a huge amount of mining and data to make the cryptocurrency. But Ripple has a product uh, that's light, it's easier to create. Ethereum is great. The reason why I was first attracted to it is it actually has a denomination in each country. So you can a US one, you can a Canadian one. And that's really appealing to consumers who live in a country you'd rather one from your country than one that's global. Consumers would like that. And Shopify, there, not that they're into Bitcoin, but the reason I like Shopify, and again, I'm an investor, is that, well, not only is it growing, you're doubling every year, but Shopify, they have 600,000 stores. They allow every single type of Bitcoin or cryptocurrency to be used on their platform. So there are 600,000 stores uh, that can start using Bitcoin as soon as it becomes an extremely popular thing. They'll be set up for that. So I think that'll help their business. That's all. That's
3: all I okay. Understand. Thanks very much, David. Up next is uh, Kyle. Sweet. All right. Hey, everyone. I'm uh, Kyle Kemper. So
5: David just said Bitcoin is dead. There's actually a site online called Bitcoin Obituaries, which kind of marks how many times people have said Bitcoin has died. Add another one to the list. There we're probably like thousands now. Bitcoin is here. It is here to say it represents like it's like we've just discovered gold. It is innovation at the base money layer. It is not but unlike, you know, the previous forms of money and reserve currencies, we have choice now with Bitcoin. I'm just going to do like a quick. So I've been in this space for a long time and a couple of years ago I was thinking about like, you know, from an insurance perspective, at like a macro level, how much would like, you know, a big pension fund or a fund or a government or a central bank need to buy worth of crypto in order to basically hedge their positions. So, like, taking the speculative aspect of it away and looking like, you know, I think it was the Institute for Financial Planners, I don't know if that's this one or not, a couple years ago said, you're taking a risk by not having any crypto in your portfolio, and I fully agree with that. Um, I don't think you need to be, like, you know, mortgaging and betting the house on it, but by not having this, you're exposed to this this outlier, this externality, which has a lot of basic functions of utility. So this is just educational. I'm not an investment advisor. So at the core, like the economics behind centrally issued currency is broken, in my opinion. There are infinite supply curves. There's quantitative easing. Anybody can print it. We are trusting in private banks and private central banks to basically dictate the supply of of money. There's an unlimited infinite supply curve, so we can just create it out of thin air. It relies on this legacy financial technology. In order to move cash, we've had to use the, we've had to use banks and financial intermediaries. With crypto, that changes. Like, you know, we'll look at just Bitcoin, but. This is the Bitcoin supply curve and the inflation curve. So in the beginning, it was 50 Bitcoins every 10 minutes. And then there was this thing called the halving when it went to 25 Bitcoins and then halved again. And we're now at 12 and a half Bitcoins. And right, about 17 million bitcoins have been issued of a total supply of 21 million. It is a fixed monetary policy. It is based on math. It adjusts for the basically the the demand of the computing power of the network. It kind of adjusts. It's open source. It's digital programmable cash. Imagine the the Bank of Canada had APIs that you could plug into and work directly with the base money. That's what we have kind of with Bitcoin and other crypto digital asset currencies. So, insurance is a way to protect ourselves from risks. There's insurance for basically anything, blah, blah, blah. Let's keep going. Uh, what about inflation insurance, central bank failure insurance, blah, blah, blah. Bitcoin, digital cash, inclusive. Anybody on the planet can use this. Like, everybody on the planet can't use banking. Some people aren't bankable. Some people aren't worth it. Just like, you know, mobile phones skipped landlines in Africa. The same thing's happening with cryptocurrency and digital currency. People are literally going to skip the need for banks and skip the need for a lot of financial intermediary service providers because they have this access to this inclusive, global, open-source system. It's facts. 21 million Bitcoins, the utility of the network. It is just in, like, you know, we can, we can look to the metrics. The number of transactions is increasing. The number of wallets is increasing. The number of users is increasing. And the number of uses for Bitcoin is increasing all the time. The utility of the network, of this technology. And this is parable, like, Bitcoin is like the OG digital currency. And the other ones are, there's many different currencies. And some of them have different kind of values and uses. So we're entering this era of choice. But it's a currency, like, you know, you can use it to buy things. It's a commodity. There's only a fixed amount of it and you can hold on to it like a bar of gold and not benefit from it it's a transaction network so we can literally like record and see all the transactions that have that have taken place and it's this general ledger too that everybody can witness so you can actually do really interesting things like julian assange used uh used the blockchain to do a proof of life like a couple months ago when there was a debate around his thing because it's public and he was able to make a a transaction that proved something so bitcoin is young but still growing Money in the world, I see, is eighty trillion. The amount of Bitcoin, if you take coins times the price, is one hundred twelve billion. It's just a tiny fraction. Year over year, uh, demand has just been increasing. I think on the top there, yeah, we've got the linear scale, which is like the image that everybody kind of sees. And as anyone who knows charts, linears don't really work that well. But on a logarithmic level, it's going from like you know ten cents to a dollar to ten dollars to hundred to a thousand to ten thousand. And we'll see where it goes from there. If the trend continues, like, you know, I posit that was mentioned earlier, as stability comes into the market, as the big players come into the market and see this as, an, as, a, as a real alternative, there will be this flippening that happens at some point. And digital currency, you know, could represent, you know, reserve currency, especially in aggregate. The rise of this will impact everyone on Earth. What you can do, insure yourself. So, I built this very simple little formula. How the formula works you take your wealth, so you take your wealth, your positions, your clients' wealth, you divide it by global wealth. Credit Suisse, like, you know, put this thing out and said the whole global wealth is 256 trillion. It's a number, it works, the denominator. So, you get, like, basically your proportional wealth and then you multiply that by the total world, the total supply of Bitcoin, so we know there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin, and so if you just find your proportion times the total supply, you basically get an output number, and it's not that much. Uh, well, it doesn't seem that much. Like a million dollars, like you know, your insurance would, like the target would be but 84,000 bits, which is, if Bitcoin was 10,000 Canadian, which is close to, would be about $840. Anybody can use this, individuals, companies, banks, countries. I've got little examples of this. And know that like Bitcoin is like when you have Bitcoin, it's like one, one bit is one bit. One Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. The amount it's worth in, in dollars will fluctuate based on the market conditions. And also know that like, one of the challenges around crypto is the divisibility just in the public psyche. People think that if a Bitcoin is $6,000 or $8,000 or $10,000, oh, it's too expensive. Well, it's very divisible. There are a million bits in a Bitcoin. So right now, like a thousand bits is $9 Canadian about. And a thousand bits will be worth a thousand dollars if, maybe when, Bitcoin is worth a million dollars. And we're having like, and and, and also because it's open source, like there's a lot of challenges with scalability and it's growing. Fire away. Love it. Okay. Good.
4: Let's let's get. We'll get to questions.
3: We will hang on to that question. I do want to give you the opportunity to ask questions. So just hang on to that question. Kyle's just. So the monetary policy was designed based on the (laughs) on the design
5: of gold. Satoshi wrote that in the original, um, so how is the total supply determined was determined by the original release of the code, which stated there will be 21 million million coins max, here's the inflation rate at which it comes on, it's all open source, and if people don't like that one, they're able to do their own. So we have Litecoin, which has 84 million, Everything's times four, there's like different iterations to it,
3: but it's fixed. Kyle, we're going to move on to Jason. Totally. Just to advance your, you. uh, your slides to the end there. Okay, now that you're all lost.
1: Um, hello again. So, for those of you who don't remember from last year, I was the person who challenged anyone who was in attendance to stop complaining about robo-advisors and just open a robo-advisor account, for the love of God. Can I see a show of hands? How many people have opened a robo-advisor account? Slight improvement from last year. Okay. we got a long way to go. So, show of hands. How many people own any form of cryptocurrency whatsoever? Okay. So, people, start experimenting, for the love of God. It doesn't cost much money. So, I'm going to challenge you again. Go, A, open up a robo-account. Do it with $1 with Simple, You can do it at the break. It'll take you five minutes. Go buy some Bitcoin. You can do it with any number of coin exchanges, and basically, it'll take you five minutes. So... Once you actually see these things and start to experience them, you can start to use them and understand. So I kind of sit in an interesting place on this panel in that I am the sole financial planner. And I kind of straddle both sides of this, the technology equation and the financial advisory equation, uh, side of the equation. And I'm going to kind of answer the question about investing by kind of unpacking some thoughts on crypto in general. So basically, The real challenge here is we've never had something like this before, and we use terms like currency and tokens to to basically, for things that are familiar to us, to try to explain what this underlying computer code really is and what it means to society. But the reality is is that, and it's hard for technologists who are really deep into this not get carried away and talk about deposing central banks and all these other libertarian values because theoretically that holds the promise of it. But I'm going to try to keep this a little bit more grounded. So I've often said I I love blockchain and part of me hates Bitcoin, not because I don't think it's invalid. I think it is valid simply because I hated the hype of Bitcoin hitting almost 20,000. I thought that that was essentially a big distraction and it was one of these which came from, by the way, Antares, thank you. Anyone know what this is? A tulip bubble. So yes, at the peak of the tul- of tulip mania, a tulip bubble, one of these things was worth 10 times the income of a skilled worker in Holland. Okay? Pretty crazy when you think about it. However, guess what? The bubble burst, tulips still exist and are still worth something. The bubble burst on Bitcoin that still exists is still worth something. And in my belief, it will still continue to be worth a lot over time. But it was a distraction. It was a distraction because of greed, the underlying greed. And now, unfortunately, a lot of people think that, a lot of people turn and said, well, this crypto thing was a disaster. Well, partly because if you were trying to speculate and make a lot of fast money, it was. But it is, quite frankly, the most revolutionary change in computing we've seen since the advent of the internet. And it is going to changed so many of the underlying technologies that we use and take for granted every day. The difference is, is that the entire system for monetization has been flipped. So whereas the concepts of something, you know, the the underlying technology internet previously, like TCP, IP, HTTP, VoIP, all those different quote unquote protocols that everything we do is based on. So whether it be you do a, you know, you call your kids on FaceTime or whether you just send an email, those are all based on code and protocols that were openly available for anyone to use. And then what happened was companies, came along, used these protocols and created the Amazons, the Googles and everything else of the world. Crypto has fundamentally flipped that. And it's fundamentally flipped that by capturing the value at the protocol level. So it's the underlying code where the value is extracted because basically it's created a limiting factor through these tokens. And I can get deep into that, but I'm not going to. But the point is, is that Companies over top of it are really a fraction of the value of the underlying ecosystem. And that sounds kind of confusing, but think about it. What's the value of any one given bank versus the value of the entire monetary system? And that's kind of the way you have to think about it. So reversing that model has made it difficult. Also, a lot of people have trouble conceiving of the two different service or the two different use cases for this. So there's a currency argument with which a lot of people have a hard time buying into. And I get that. But if we look at what the three uses for currency or the three uses that determine that something is a currency uh, or three, three functions, there's three things it does. So store value. Can we store value in crypto? Yes, we can. It's a little bit volatile, but we can. It's a unit of account for measuring how much something is worth, which you can price things in, in currency, in crypto. And it's a medium of exchange, and you can buy things in crypto. So it meets all three criteria, whether the disbelievers want to believe it or not. And you know what? It may seem far-fetched, but so does going back in history and looking at the fact that people used to use shells and axes and, and in my, what I consider ridiculous, gold coins for currency. And, you know, is it, is it surprising? Is it bizarre to think that we're using some sort of artificial marker for wealth? As a crypto, something like a cryptocurrency, when really most of our money is an artificial market anyway. It's a ledger entry on some bank balance sheet, right? So that, to me, almost seems less farcical than using shiny yellow metal as being the only source of wealth. The other functionality it has is the utility side. So the utility side is when we start talking about things called smart contracts. And this is where Ethereum came in. So smart contracts, to me, are, are was really what's kind of beyond the currency aspect, really revolutionized our lives. And it's basically the ability for us to encode any kind of agreement digitally that we can think of. So what are some examples of this? Well, very simply, the simple examples now are work gets done, money gets paid, right? You can technologically prove that, okay, I have completed this task that I was assigned because my computer confirms that I've done it. Money gets released on the other side. There's no cheating the system, right? That's the simple side of it. But I was, I've talked to several people in this space about different things that they've used it for. And one, one gentleman I spoke to, I did a... a um, project with the TSX. And they did a pilot project for the clearing of natural gas futures contracts. So you sell a futures contract, we all know what those are, but those futures contracts can be subdivided over time. And then eventually that natural gas has to be delivered. Well, this was a highly inefficient process because it would pass through pipelines and different distributors and and then the different futures buyers would go all over the place and eventually gets to the city. It was so inefficient that they had to keep a large slush fund of equivalent, almost 10% of the total float in value basically, to deal with overages and underages in and these pays. And it was in sometimes when gas was supposed to arrive at a city and it was they were under or whatever it might be called, it was called a cut, the trying to reconcile the books for who owed who money on this futures contract would take one to two months. That made no sense. Now what they've done is they've created a blockchain for these contracts. And now they can literally, everybody who's on it can see who owes what to whom at all times. Right? There is no reconciliation issue anymore because it happens in real time. And you think about the size of the natural gas market and even a small percentage of that having to be held back in currency to settle, settle disputes, that's an enormous number, an enormous inefficiency. Right? We have other, I had another conversation with a gentleman who's creating a, trying to create a token around professional accountability. So, the ability for us to be held accountable for what we do as professionals. I promise a client that I'm going to deliver X, Y, and Z. Client gets an email from the system that says, Did this person do X that they were, they were supposed to do? Yes or no? Yes, boom. Guess what? That now counts on my permanent record towards whether or not I delivered it. Wouldn't it be nice for us, who all consider ourselves to be credible and trustworthy advisors, to actually have some sort of VeriSign score? That showed that you know what this advisor delivers on ninety nine point nine percent of their promises. Counter to uh, the other side of that is the ones the charlatans in the industry shall be transparently pushed out. Now I mean these are all these are all use cases that we're thinking about. There's also another concept I heard of called uh, parametric insurance contracts. So say for example you buy business insurance, you're you're in Ottawa, a tornado hits your hotel, for example, right? You just lost X amount of revenue. Well, today you have to go through this entire claims process and say how much revenue you lost and try to prove it. Well. But wouldn't it be nice if that data could just be drawn straight from your accounting books and the money just be put in to replace it instantaneously through a contract? These are the types of things that literally we can talk about that are are becoming a reality. In addition to that, we're starting to see something called the ICO market, the initial coin offering market, start to supplant some of the traditional traditional markets for raising capital. So it used to be that you would go to venture capital first, and then you eventually work your way up and become a publicly traded company. Now, all kinds of companies are finding ways to create a blockchain around their product and raise billions of dollars very quickly to sustain themselves and start operations. And that has basically taken the old kind of smoke and mirrors backroom venture cap market that most of us could never get into and made it accessible to everybody. So it's revolutionizing a lot of things. And, you know, something a little closer to home, anyone who's a CFA or CFP, okay, CFPs, for example, in this room, did you notice this year that you did not get the little shiny silver sticker to say that you've renewed your CFP? You know Why? Because they've replaced it with the blockchain authenticated token. So now, if you visit my LinkedIn and no one else has done this, and you click on Jason Pereira's CFP credential, boom! It goes through to the CFP site and verifies that I am absolutely of CFP.
3: Trust. Good, good place to end it, Jason, with uh, tying it right oh, into financial Can I go back the minutes?
1: So let me just finish on the investment thing.
3: So um, I was
1: at this entire thing, but I could get there. But in terms of investing, let's look at it from the standpoint: if can money be made? The answer is yes, but. We are financial planners with the fiduciary responsibility to our clients to make sure that we get them what they want out of life. And that is not necessarily return. That is what the way they want to live, the way they see fit with the freedom that they want, the timeline that they want. So return is a mechanism how we deliver that. Is there a potential for return? Yes, there is. But at this stage in the game, the reality is, is that this is a very nascent industry. And with a lot of technical jargon, a lot of technical knowledge that you need to know in order to actually know what's, what's useful and what's not. And when you actually listen to some of the guys who even started some of these cryptos talk, most of them give their money to large institutional hedge funds with technological chops to actually anal- analyze these things. So that is not accessible to the general person, to the general public. And frankly, and there's talk of uh, now ETF, uh, Bitcoin ETFs and other ETFs. So the problem is, is that there's not a diversified enough space that's mature enough for us to actually buy a passive investment. So if we can't get access to active investing and passive investing, then frankly, my suggestion to you is that if a client wants to speculate on this, sure, go ahead. Speculate with a tiny amount of money off to the side. Maybe you follow this you know, equation we've seen here. But this is not something we're incorporating into our fiduciary portfolios at this time, because it's just too early.
3: Thank you. Okay. Good place to end the uh, introductions from all of us. And uh, I would like to open it to the floor. I was going to ask some questions, but I have a feeling that just a wave of information here has created an awful lot of questions in your mind. So I am going to open it to the floor for a few questions. And if you have a microphone, ask the question right there. Yes.
6: Hi, Jason. It's clear to me from listening to you that your processor works on a thousand megahertz and I'm still in the hundred megahertz zone. You know, one thing about currency is that it's supposed to be stable and it's a medium of exchange. And that's part of the reason we own it. We don't own it to speculate on it as an investment vehicle for, for growth. We use it so that we can purchase things and we want to make sure that it maintains its purchasing power. And part of the challenge with Bitcoin or any other of these cryptocurrencies is if you are using it as a medium of exchange you're not sure what it's going to be worth when you actually need to exchange it and so until you can satisfy me that that it will have a form of stability and it will be acceptable for use then it's too volatile for me to consider So that's
3: your question, then, that it's simply too volatile an investment to get into? So I I accept that. I don't like
6: using the term investment and currency in the same sentence. Unless you speculate on the U.S. dollar's value going forward or any other currency. That's an
1: opinion. Okay, Okay. uh, That's that's an opinion, currency and investment. Go
3: ahead, Jason. Is is it too volatile? So
1: I totally understand our argument. And that's one of the things that holds me back. But the reality is, is that's a very Canadian Western view to look at it. The reality is, is that if you're in Zimbabwe, if you're in Argentina, if you're in Venezuela, if well, if Greece was actually on the drachma, the reality is, is that we are used to, quote unquote, semi-stable currencies. And I would say, quite frankly, the Canadian dollar going from $1.10 down to almost 60 again does not exactly mean full stability, right? So st- stable is a relative concept. And if you're in a country where or a place where the currency can be trusted less than a cryptocurrency, of course, you're going to take what you would, frankly, they're going to see that as a more stable option. So over time, as the network effects play out and as more people participate in this, then volatility should, by its nature, start to actually truncate and you should see more stability. But I understand that. But again, I understand that we're Kyle. coming at it from a certain context.
5: Kyle? Yeah, I would also say that, you know, we're seeing the rise of like the stable coins too. So like one's called Tether. So, you know, you can benefit from the values of digital currency, but without being subject to a finite supply and increasing demand and what comes along with that. But also, like, I think there's going to come a time, too, in the Bank of Canada and the other central banks will probably issue their own, like, sovereign digital currencies. It's just going to be a bit of a challenge for them because, you know, they have to go to their buddies at the banks and say, look, we're going to give everybody the ability to send money
3: instantly for free. Well, I think we could probably expect the banks to create a digital currency of their own. And one more choice, one more option. David, what about the volatility? There are lots of things that we invest in that are volatile. People know the risks. They
0: realize it's volatile. I think it's your investment appetite, to your point. Uh, My personal view in, in investing my own money in cryptocurrency is this. If you look back in the 8th century, there, was a, there were coins that people were using to buy things. And one week, you could buy a, a whole week's worth of food. And the next week, you couldn't buy a loaf of bread. So King Charlemagne, smart guy, came along. This is the 800s. He came along and said, OK, all my coins are all going to be worth, let's say, $100 today, tomorrow, next month, next year. And then all of a sudden, everybody started to use them. So it's a similar analogy today. Right now, it's so volatile. People don't even want to buy them. Yes, the early adopters do, but the mass market does not want to buy them. And I personally won't invest a lot of money into them until it's more stable and there's more regulation and uh, it has more of a popular appeal around the world. Another
3: question. Raise your hand uh, for a microphone. Okay, go ahead. Hi. So what I'm really
1: interested in, heard a lot about is this whole idea of mining and people setting up mines and <clears throat> to sort of produce their, their own cryptocurrency. So could you explain a little bit how that works and and you know what they're used for?
5: Sure. So mining is basically, it, it's the way that the currency is issued. And in order to what mining is you set your computer towards solving this math problem. And if your computer is a lucky computer that solves the math problem, it's like random guessing. It's like hacking a password. If you get lucky and you hack the password, you get rewarded by the new block, by the reward for creating a new block in the chain. And it's said to happen every 10 minutes is what it's programmed to do in Bitcoin's case. And when you solve the block, you take... Simplistically, you take all the transactions that happened in the last 10 minutes, you put them together, and you put them in the chain, and you let all the other computers around the world know, I've solved the block, here's the block, and everybody looks like, yep, you solved it. It's very difficult to solve the problem. It's very easy to verify the answer, and so everybody verifies, and they get a new problem, and they start working on that new problem. So in order to mine, it's become like a very professional industry as opposed to what that video said earlier and it is like entire warehouses full of specialized computers that are running full bore to try and solve this problem. Because right now, in Bitcoin's case, it's 12 and a half Bitcoins, which is almost $100,000 every 10 minutes it's being issued.
3: Another question. Yeah, Microphone I'm, over there. Go yeah. ahead. I'm just curious, then. How, how is this going? I'm trying to look at this top
1: down. To me, this really undermines the Bank of Canada's role. Because if their role is to try to keep the inflation rate between 1 and 3 percent, and they do that through currency or through interest rates, that doesn't this create some chaos in the world as well with the Bank of Canada, Bank of England, if they're trying to control money supply?
0: Well, my view on that is, is because there are no regulatory banks, Bank of Canada, whatever the monetary regulatory are, they're not right attached to this. And maybe they never will be. Maybe they never will be. Digital currency, of course, is a transformational different type of technology and so perhaps that will never happen but until that time I think it won't cause too much chaos because you still have the regular currency happening out there and I don't think it's going to make that go away. I think it's just going to be another venue for people to be able to conduct transactions. So I I don't think we have to worry about things collapsing because of it but I think as an investor you want to be at the cusp of when it really does uh, become a really strong investment for your clients. For me, for my, it would be personally. And that's how I would look at it.
1: Jason. So to that argument, and I agree there is validity to that argument, but doesn't the existence of any other currency basically negate the central bank's authority? Right. I mean, if I don't like what's going on in Canada, I can switch to U.S. dollars and vice versa or to the euro, whatever it is. Right. This is just another option, but without a central bank Operator and at the end of the day, the that current you know the the, the all central banks still control their interest rates, still control open market operations, and still have other policy means other than the fact that they have new competition in town. So it's not going to make their job any easier. But frankly, they already had competition in the first place.
3: Made the point earlier that too early to invest. We're on the cusp. We're getting close. It's got to become mainstream. How close are we to reaching that point? Is it a year away? Or is it 10 years away?
5: I think we're getting pretty close. And I think, like, in terms of an exponential technology, it's once usability kind of really improves that we'll see that. We've got the rise of digital identity. We've got the rise of artificial intelligence, like blockchain, like the core infrastructure level that's happening in the background is being built right now. I think as soon as we have a wallet, like, you know, and I'm actually writing a book called The Unified Wallet, Unlocking a Digital Golden Age, about how are we actually going to be in control of this? How are we going to leverage things like biometrics? A year away, 10 years away. Okay. Best ask guess. Ask me in 10 years. Pardon? So that's me in 10 years.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Another question uh, at the back.
2: When um, bitcoins get stolen on an exchange like happened recently, is that a victimless crime or are there people who actually lost money
5: it's the equivalent of having the bank like you're losing cash but you're with an exchange it's like a bank you're giving them they're holding on to your your keys and you're putting them into the exchange so you can trade it for others and swap between currencies but ultimately you're placing the responsibility and the trust in them to hold your coins and they are honeypots because they're centralized they're holding on to lots of coins they are what hackers are going after With crypto and with Bitcoin, you can open up a wallet and become your own bank, and you can hold on to your coins safely and securely. It's when, like you know, but when you pool together, you become this target. And you know, some of the exchanges have insurance, and some of the exchanges that have been hacked have you know done have gone through processes to get funds back to to the clients. But you know, that's an inherent risk you're taking with uh, with them,
0: David. Uh, Just to give perspective. your cash and, and your credit card are far more vulnerable to give perspective than a, a Bitcoin because it's under a blockchain foundation. So even though there are reports of, of, of coins being stolen, you're far more likely to lose your cash and your, have your credit card hacked than uh, you would be for a, a Bitcoin.
3: Next question.
4: I'm more yep. interested in the technology of blockchain as it could pertain to copyright protection, patent protection, land registry. Where's all that going?
0: The beautiful thing about blockchain and why I love it so much is that it's really like an operating system for transactions. It's not just for cryptocurrency now. It's for many, many other transactions. So you're right. Transactions for your patent, transactions for documents at your company, transactions for a retail environment. So it really is going to be, that's why I love it. It's going to become invisible, but it's going to also become extremely powerful in terms of protecting your assets, whether they're currency or whether they're business assets. Yeah. So just to further that thought, it is. It's going to become
1: invisible. And frankly, anything that denotes ownership is going to be on a blockchain. There's just no other solution we have. And frankly, there isn't need for one because that's good enough. The other thing that this opens up that we we haven't talked about is the ability to make those rights divisible. So whereas right now, if you want to access capital in your home, you have to borrow. What about the ability to sell off small micro chunks of your house and your real estate? That's something that various blockchain companies are working on right now. That type of copyright law, for example, someone writes a song and you know what, they've hit hard times, they get this royalty check, maybe they want to monetize some of that now, they're going to have that ability. So it not only is going to become the underlying infrastructure for ownership, because frankly, like I said, it's the one thing that works right, it's also going to enable us to better monetize that ownership
3: than ever before. It just uh, today, I was looking at uh, news stories about blockchain and cryptocurrencies and companies that are getting into blockchains. Walmart, AT&T, FedEx, Porsche, all making announcements that they are beginning to use blockchain. Another question from the floor at the back over there. Yes, sir. Yep.
5: So if you believe in Bitcoin in particular... Are you not relying on continued massive increase in available computing? Because verification takes a certain amount of time now. It makes it less nimble because you have to have verification happen. Based on the computing power, the difficulty will just adjust. So as more computers come on, it's still going to be every 10 minutes. Is kind of the way the, the protocol works. So there's really no, we don't need to worry about the difficulty in the computing power and if a whole bunch of miners turn off it might take a little bit longer for some of the blocks to be solved but then it will just readjust down and the same with more computing power coming onto the network it just kind of it has a self-adjusting kind of property to it which is
3: um pretty amazing see if we can uh, sneak in another question right there sir
4: back to the original question about how do you cap it at 21 million bitcoins or whatever it was if you are able to do that and demand for Bitcoins continually increases, won't there be an unlimited amount of value? And if that's the case, won't you need an exponentially increasing large number of computers to solve the specific problem of calculating value?
5: So again, they're not like the computing power is not the processing power, the computing power is just about solving this cryptographic problem that that gives the rewards, and then they package all the transactions together. But to the ultimate kind of finite supply number, if Bitcoin is worth $10 million US a coin at some point, like, you know, then it'll be one, one bit would be worth $10. So it'd be like all of a sudden it wouldn't be so functional for microcurrencies. But because it's open source code, there's the ability to take it from eight decimal places. We could add another eight decimal places to it, thereby, like, increasing the total number of units without moving on the other side of the decimal. We're never
1: going to be able to make it 22.
5: So you have the same number million. of
3: bitcoins. You're just slicing each yes. coin into ever smaller pieces. Exactly, Jason, you want to have it's a comment?
1: Yeah. And I think I think what it comes down to is that a couple of things, the 10 minute block is artificial. It's designed to be 10 minutes. Right. So what you're saying is like this ever increasing need. There's more and more miners coming on the network. So there is some of that. But the reality is, is that it's dynamically adjusting to meet the demands of the network. So it basically adjusts itself. And for that point, you know, as long as this system can be redesigned. This is an open source code that all the miners basically use. And if 51% of the people who are mining these things agree that, hey, we're going from eight decimal places to 15 decimal places, or we're going from 21 million Bitcoin to 22 million Bitcoin, whatever it is, it is going to be, it can be done. But that being said, why would we, you know, so why trust them? that it can be modified? Because this is where the social engineering comes into it they're only going to do what's of interest for the, end, for the efficiency of the entire network. They're not going to basically do something to enrich themselves solely to the detriment of the validity of Bitcoin, right? Because if you hurt the validity of Bitcoin, you hurt the entire value of it.
3: One more question from the floor. Yep. So I think to maybe answer the question of one year or 10 years,
5: from my perspective, the way I look at this, that in a traditional economy, we have the Bank of Canada set monetary policy and we have the government set fiscal policy, The problem ultimately becomes if we're not able to, as a society, collect taxes, such as CRA, then it implodes. And so in terms of some of these items that we talk about, it can become problematic because then governments are not able to pay their bills. So that's how
1: traditional currencies are based on value, is based on the taxation of entities. So for the record, and every government said this, it is taxable. At the end of the day, you make money with Bitcoin, it's taxable. Just like people don't report cash, some people don't report Bitcoin. The difference is, and this is the big joke amongst intelligence communities, is that Bitcoins also known as something called prosecution futures. Whereas they may not be able to figure out who you are today, guess what? There's a ledger showing every transaction. And the second that it tries to re enter the, the general economy, that's a vul- vulnerability point. So it's not to say that they're going to get there, but the bottom line is there's proof of what everybody's done.
5: The problem is valuation. So what do I need tax on? Because the valuation today at this second is that different than this second versus this second. Indeed. So, so compliance okay. right now, trying to jam this... You know, square peg into the round hole of the existing taxation system is very difficult. But this is also a window of opportunity for us to look at taxation systems entirely. Like if you look at the way that HST is collected and the liability that's put on every entrepreneur and every small business, it's absolutely ridiculous. And there's the ability using digital payments to seamlessly collect the tax at that point. And using this, we can radically simplify and make it much more efficient to the point where we might be able to kill some of those sacred cows that have been enslaving us. <laughs> (laughs) like income tax. David, a final comment.
3: (laughs) David, a final comment, and uh, we'll have to wrap it up.
0: Well, now that I don't have to pay income tax, that's that's a happy (laughs) thing. Yeah, the last thing I'll say is that I think it's a three to five year horizon for investment, uh, and that's how I'm looking at it. But the one interesting shocking fact is that as of today, more money, more people have lost money on Bitcoin than they've made money and so maybe that'll change in the future, but that's kind of those volatility. The people, A lot of people bought it when it was very high and it dropped, so that's kind of where we are with this, and as soon as it moves out of that phase, I think more stability will come, and I think it'll be a good investment in the future.
3: So I think it's uh, safe to wrap up by saying this is not a fad. You better pay attention to it, and based on your show of hands about your clients asking you about it, it is not going to go away. I do hope yeah, just one last question. one last thing. one last thing. And this is just like, what can you do right
5: now? And that I would say is download a wallet. And I would say edge wallet is the one that I kind of recommend. It is a very good wallet. It supports many different currencies. In order to use digital currency, you need to have a wallet and we can securely have it on our phone. And then in order to, like, get a little bit of coin, too, I would say, like, CoinSquare or CoinBerry or a local ATM or something like that or a friend who has Bitcoin. Just get it and try it because just, like, email emails try are it, confusing you'll like at it. the beginning. Like, <laughs> it's
3: coming come across. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I appreciate your time. Thank you for your attention. <laughs> Bye-bye.
1: So that was our panel discussions on blockchain and cryptocurrencies. Hope you enjoyed that. I had quite a lot of fun participating and hopefully you learned something. So until next time, thank you yet again for joining us. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, I'm Jason Pereira. Take care.